Jai Jinendra, we'll start with the Naukar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam, Om Namo Siddhanam, Om Namo Ayadiyanam, Om Namo Uachayanam, Namo Luesa Vasahunam, Eso Panchanamo Karo, Sauva Pava Panasano, Mangalalancha Savesim, Paramam Have Mangalam, Paramam Have Mangalam. So now that we have a good understanding about Jain sex, then it's time to talk about Jain literature. And we're in chapter 28 of the book, Jain Agams. So Mahavir Swami attained Kevalgyan or omniscience at the age of 42. And for the next 30 years, he delivered sermons to everybody. And he delivered them in a language called Ardha Magadhi Prakrit. So remember, Magad was a very influential town back then, and Prakrit was the name of the language. So I'm guessing that's a dialect of the Prakrit that he delivered these sermons in. So among his disciples, they compiled all of his sermons orally. The first creation they made was called the Purvas, and there are 14 of them. The next creation they made was called the Anga Pravishta Agams, and there are 12 of them. And it's important to get the terminology straight in your mind here. Basically, we call everything an agam. Uh, so these agams, these 12, we're going to call anga agams. And that's short for anga pravista agams. Now, the 14 purvas, which were created first, were stuck into the 12th anga agam. And we'll see why that's important later. So we have 12 anga agams. And in the last one, there are 14 Purvas so far. So now, historically, his disciples passed them down orally from one generation to the next. Why? Well, why didn't they write them down? Remember, these are ascetic people, monks and nuns, right? And they practice non-possessiveness. So they considered possessing books would constitute a violation of their vow of non-possessiveness and non-attachment. I mean, these people don't even wear clothes, so why would we expect them to carry books around, right? That's even worse than clothes, is to be attached to books when you have the knowledge and the knowledge is passed down from person to person. So it doesn't make sense to us because we're surrounded by material things, but it makes perfect sense to them when they don't have anything material, anything material is irrelevant to their life. So it makes perfect sense why this wasn't written down. A lot of people have that question. But then came the time when all the knowledge got, um, because of what we talked about during the Jane Sex podcast, all the knowledge got a little bit um, non-standardized. And then they realized that, hey, this knowledge might be destroyed. It's better for us to write them down in books and possess those books than have this knowledge be destroyed. J.J. Nidra, to everybody who just joined, we're talking about Jane Agams in chapter 28. So um, there are three conventions where they write down everything and standardize the differing 
uh, things people have been taught or misremembered or things like that. And this happens all the time in various religions, these kind of conventions to standardize what the doctrine is. The first one happened in 320 BC, Patliputra, the Patliputra Convention. We talked about that a little bit. We'll talk about it some more. The second one happened in 380 AD, so about 600 years after. And the third convention happened 520 AD, so about 140 years after the second one. And it's from that third one where we have all of our knowledge today. That is, we follow the doctrinal um, I guess standardization that happened in the third one. So where are these agams? Where can you go? It's important to know that you can go and see these agams. These agams are in uh, three agam temples and they have the agams engraved on the walls of the temple or on copper plates and they are in Palitana, Surat, and Sankeshwar. So you got to go to India to see these agams. Now, they're also in books everywhere. There are J there are Nyan Mandirs or knowledge temples. They're in Ahmedabad, Patan, Surat, Kambat, Jesalmar, Pinvada, Meshana, Ratalam, Ahor, Tarad, Guda, and Surendnagar. And you can see them written down there. So it's important to know that if you want to go see them, you can go see them. But uh, as with a lot of things, they won't help you because they're written in a different language. So you'll have to learn that language first. Okay, so questions or comments on that. It's important to get these kind of basic things down first because we're going to build on that. So we have 14 Purvas and they stuck those into the last of the 12 Anga Agams. That's where we're at so far. Okay, so let's get a little bit more color on the first convention. So we remember that uh, there was a famine and then the uh, 10,000 monks and nuns left and then they came back and they said, what are you doing? What's going on? And then they said, let's have a convention. We remember that from two weeks ago. But there's a little bit more color that the book gives us here. So this is about 160 years after Mahavir's Nirvana. Um, the order of the Jain monks assembled and they decided to write down the 12 Anga Agams. However, nobody recollected the entire 12th one because of the Purvas. The Purvas are big, which we'll talk about. Except Acharya Badrabahu. Remember, we have Badrabahu on one side with the Digambars and Stuli Badra on the other side with the Shwetambars. They would come to be known that later, not then, but we have just a Badrabahu led group and a Stuli Badra led group. So they realized only Badrabahu knows this 12th Anga Agam. But where is he? He's in Nepal doing some yoga there. So, okay. So let's go over there. Let's take a bunch of people over there, including Stuli Badra, and let's request him to teach it to us. Badra Bahu says, fine, I will teach it to you. And of those, all of those monks, uh, only Stuli Badra was successful in acquiring the knowledge of the Purvas. So after acquiring the knowledge of 10 Purvas, this is what the book says. He misused the miraculous power earned through this. When Badrabahu came to know this, he stopped giving lessons to Stulibadra. 
And after beseeching by Stuli Bhadra and the Sangh, Bhadrabahu agreed to teach Stuli Bhadra the remaining four, but not orally like he had done. He said, I'll only give you the text. You got to do the rest. Now, this is important. This is glossed over. We have a prayer to Stuli Bhadra in the front of the book. Okay, we don't have a prayer to Bhadrabahu. I don't know why. Okay, maybe, see, then this is why it's important to understand that stuff we were talking about. Maybe the people that compiled the book or whatever, maybe they're sweat numbers. And that's why we have a prayer to Stuli Bhadra. But this is pretty important. I don't know how he misused the miraculous power. I mean, that seems pretty important, but okay. So now we have, again, a little bit more of this conflict between Stuli Bhadra and Bhadrabahu. So now the problem is, now Stuli Bhadra knows all 14 Purvas, and he promised to not teach the four that he got through text only. So when Stuli Bhadra dies, now we only have 11 Anga Agams and only 10 Purvas, okay? And now you can see after that why Digambar say, you totally messed this up. I don't believe that any of this is true. Uh, because, and, and Svetambar say, well, okay, you'd mess this up, but this part is true and we just don't have this other part and we'll try to reconstruct this. So this happened at the first convention where things started falling apart. So the second and third conventions, remember 600 years later and 140 years after that later, less conflict, less action happened there. Uh, they just assembled not only the Agams, but some more explanatory materials. Um, no really uh, colorful story there. <clears throat> so questions or comments on that? All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about it. And um, we're going to go over this and we're going to talk about each one. And yes, Paresh. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask, do we get to know how the, what the misuse of the teachings were later on? Or is it, does it remain a mystery? The book doesn't say. Do you want to try to look into that and find out for us? <laughs> the book doesn't say so right now it's a mystery it is certainly an important thing this happened this was so important and how many of us know that this happened and how many of the people that recite the prayer to Stuli Bhadra know that this happened so uh, before we get into it we're going to go through what each Agam and Purva say I don't expect you to memorize it I don't think that you need to write it down what I do want you to do is know that these are here. And also, if you do decide you want to look up one, if you see, if you hear something interesting about one, write down which one that is. And that way you'll be comfortable to look it up later. So the 14 Purvas, remember, this was the first thing created uh, from Mahavir's sermon. sermons. The first thing you have to know is that they're big. The book says that the first Purva was written with enough ink that you could fill an elephant with it, that much ink. The second one is two times larger. The third one is two times larger than the second one, and so on and so on until you get all the way to 14. So that's how big these purvas are. 
So the first one talks about Jeev, Ajiv, and its modes or Pariyaya. The second one talks about the Nav Tattva or the nine realities and the Shadravya or the six substances. The third one talks about the energy of the soul and how non-living things don't have that energy. That is the characteristics of the soul. The fourth one talks about Anikantvad or multiplicity of viewpoints. The fifth one talks about the five types of knowledge and the three types of ignorance. The sixth one talks about truth, restraint, silence, and speech, and the importance of those things. The seventh one also talks about the soul, but from different angles. The eighth one talks about karma. So it talks about band, um, uh, how karma comes to fruition, somber, and all that. Uh, sorry, the, uh, we were on the eighth one. Sorry if I misspoke there. The ninth one talks about panchakan or giving up the worldly life. It talks about restraint and detachment. The tenth purva talks about vidya or uh, the kind of superpowers you get or expertise or exceptional abilities that your soul has. It's inherent in your soul. The eleventh purva talks about spiritual alertness or apramada and laziness, which is pramada. The twelfth purva talks about the ten types of prana, or life substances. The thirteenth purva talks about uh, the sixty-four arts of women and the eighty-four arts of men. And the fourteenth purva, which is the biggest one, talks about the three parts of the universe, uh, mathematics and um, kind of the metaphysical reality of what the universe is. So those were the 14 Purvas. Questions or comments on that? This was the first creation from the sermons of Lord Mahavir by his disciple. And this was created, of course, orally. Are these the Purvas? Are, are these the ones that are written down? <clears throat> so the, the copper plates? That's right. Um, the This is part of the 12th Anga Agam. And these are written down in certain traditions. Uh, so the Digambers believe that these are incorrect. They weren't written down correctly and everything got tainted uh, because of this misremembering. Um, the Shwetambers believe that, so because this is in the 12th one, remember that, the Shwetambers also believe this one is lost. Um, and most uh, most all sects believe that this one is lost and this one contained the Purvas. Uh, so I'm sorry, I misspoke before. These are not written down on the copper plates in India because these are in the 12th Anga Aga. Only the first 11 are written down. Sorry about that. Okay, so let's talk about the 14... Sorry, the 12 Anga Agams. We just talked about the 14 Purvas. Now we're going to talk about the 12 Anga Agams. This is the main text of Jainism that we have today. And this was also compiled by Mahavir's disciples orally at first and then written down at the conventions we talked about. The first one describes the conduct and behavior of ascetic life. It describes the penance of Lord Mahavir, and this is one of the oldest Agams, Anga Agams. The second one describes nonviolence, Jain metaphysics, 
and the uh, differences between Jainism and other theories. The third one talks about uh, Jain substances and also a little bit about Jain metaphysics. The fourth one defines and catalogs the main substances from a different perspective than the third one. So we get a different point of view than the third one. The fifth one explains the knowledge of soul, matter, and other related subjects. And this one is presented in a question-answer form. There are 36,000 questions, and they're answered in a discussion form. So this is like, if you want a fact about Jainism and FAQ, this is the one to go to, the fifth one. The sixth agam explains Jain principles through examples and stories. The seventh one explains the code of conduct of the Shravaks and Shravikas and uh, other lay people. So remember, the first Anga Agam was for ascetics. If you want uh, how we should behave, the seventh one is for, for you. The eighth one tells the story of 10 sacred monks and how they achieved liberation by destroying their karma. So great examples of liberation. The ninth Anga Agam contains the stories of another 10 monks who attained heaven, the topmost heaven. So not liberation. Remember, there are um, a certain amount of heavens and a certain amount of hells. And this one tells what the 10 monks did to get the topmost level of heaven. The 10th Anga Agam describes the five great vows or the five Mahavrats uh, and the five worst sins. Remember, the five great vows are nonviolence, non-lying, non-stealing, non-attachment, and certain forms of celibacy. The 11th Anga Agam explains the results of good and bad karma through stories. And the 12th Anga Agam, the disputed one, the one that is extinct, um, contains, uh, in addition to remember the 14 Purvas, it was divided into five parts, and then the book lists the name of the five parts, but that's not going to mean anything to us. Okay, so questions or comments about the 12 Anga Agams, the 12th one which is lost, or the 14 Purvas which were lost with the 12 Anga Agams. Is it fair to say that the first 11 ones that are still available, there is a, some sort of an alignment with all the Jain sects? First 11? Because uh, the book says that obviously Digamba lost all 12. Right. Digamba lost the 12th one. So. Is there even an alignment of first 11, one which is written? Obviously, because it, 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 they don't believe, it seems like, that uh, the written portion or written aspect of this thing is valid anyway. But do they even have some alignment? or? Um, yes and no. So they have, there are Digambar texts and there are Digambar traditions which they do adhere to, and some of them align with the 11, and okay. some of them do not. So they have their own text, which is not these Anga Agams, because, oh, okay. right. Okay. 
Um, so that's why I was a little bit confused. So I imagine that a large portion of the Digamber texts do align. But wait, if you talk about the Unga Agams, those things, they say, well, we reject, we f- refute that. We right. will go with these texts, even though they say a lot of the same things. Okay, so let's talk about other literature that, uh, and these mostly explain the Unga Agams. And the problem, the problem here is that these are called, the first set of these are called Angabaya Agams, okay? So this is completely, completely separate. We'll call these Baya Agams, all right? Okay, so the Baya Agams are um, separated into different parts called sutras. They're the Upanga Sutras, they're the Cheda Sutras, and they're the Mool Sutras. They're the Chulika Sutras and the Prakirna Sutras. Okay, so we'll talk about these and um, they've been, uh, they were compiled, for example, at the second and the third conventions. And these are explanatory materials for the Agams. As we get further and further away from the Anga Agams, we need more explanatory materials because they started out in Prakrit, as we as we saw. Now these sutras, a lot of them are written in the then common language of Sanskrit, and now Sanskrit isn't as common as Hindi and Gujarati, and so all of these explanatory materials are necessary to uh, understand the agams. And of course, unfortunately, everybody tries their best, but it's like one kind of big game of telephone where things might have got lost in mistranslation. So um, we won't get into that here, but that's the unfortunate reality uh, we have today. Okay, so let's talk about the Upanga Sutras, which are the first of the Abhayagams. There are 12 of them. The first one describes the splendid view of King Konika when he visited Bhagavan Mahavir, and it explains how a person can attain heaven in the next life. The second one describes the story of Mankeshi. Mankeshi was a disciple of Parshvanath, and he removed the doubts of King Pradeshi regarding the existence and the attributes of the soul. Uh, this is important because he turned the king into a follower of the Jain religion. And after his death, the king was born in heaven as a deva. And remember, heavenly and hellish beings can interfere with the life on this plane of existence. So from his heavenly form, the king uh, showered Bhagavan Mahavir with unprecedented pop, pomp and splendor. And there are 32 plays in this sutra. And they described how this kind of, um, this described this whole story in these 32 plays. The third Upanga Sutra describes the universe and a subtle description of all living beings in the universe. And it gives important information uh, to scholars about the biology of things Uh, of plants and animals. The fourth Upanga Sutra describes the form and attributes of the soul. 
The fifth one describes the sun, the planets, and mathematics regarding their motion. The sixth one describes the moon, the planets, mathematics regarding their motions. Uh, so I'm not sure why the fifth one is separated from the sixth one. The seventh one des describes um, this place that we live in called Jambudvipa. Okay, Jambudvipa is all of what's considered the known universe. We know there are stuff outside of the known universe that we haven't found yet outside that. The Eighth Upanga Sutra describes the story of 10 princes who were all brothers. They fought with King Chetik of Vaishali in cooperation with King Konika. Remember him from the first sutra. King Chetik was their half-brother. And in the end, all 10 princes went to hell for participating in this war. The Ninth Upanga Sutra describes the story of King Konika's children. They refused to participate in the war with King Chetak. They renounced the world, became monks, and after they died, they went to heaven. The Tenth Upanga Sutra describes the previous lives of certain angels, or devas, who worship Bhagavan Mahavir. The Eleventh One describes more stories of the Tenth One. So again, I'm not sure why these are separate. And the Twelfth and Last One explains how Bhagavan Neminath convinced 10 kings to follow the Jain religion. So as you can see, now that we're getting into the supplemental material and explanatory material, we're getting into a lot of stories, a lot of convincing about why Jainism is great and uh, a lot of glorification of the people that converted very powerful people to Jainism. We're getting a lot of, uh, you know, I would say, less abstract and more, not more interesting, I guess, more hands-on or more real um, examples. And not just in the Agams you have, well, these are all the doctrines and these are all how the world is. And in these explanatory materials, you're dealing with people and people's lives. And I guess it's more accessible is the word I would use because it's more interesting because we can relate to people. So questions or comments about the Upanga Sutras? So these sutras are obviously written way after uh, Mahavira Swami's and all the Agams were written. So it's, it's quite, quite late in the, uh, probably close to, uh, I don't know, what was our last convention? That one was 200, 520 AD. Right. Right. So, knowing that certain kings and their children, so the princesses going certain ways, or hells or heavens, who, who we don't know, like, is that something was passed on before and then somebody write it down as a sutras, or we don't know that. I don't know. Yeah. But this is definitely is way after the Agams and... Uh, all those, uh, the 12 Agams were either written or 11 were written and the 12th one was lost. This was way after that. It, uh, it was written down after that, but it describes the time of Mahavir's time. Okay, okay. All right. All right. Okay, let's move on to the 
Cheta Sutras. There are six of these, and we'll go through them quickly because they are for ascetics and not for lay people, shravaks like you and me. It provides the rule and conduct for and um, what happens when you break the rules and how to redeem yourself for monks and nuns, for ascetics. The first one explains the procedure of repentance for the monks and nuns who violated certain rules. The second one explains the 10 kinds of repentance appropriate for a particular wrongdoing. Like if you did this and you need to repent, you should do this. The third one describes a system of confession for monks and nuns who fall from proper conduct. The fourth one contains um, information relating to the 20 places of asamadhi, the 21 major faults for bringing weaknesses and conducts, and on and on and on uh, about that. The fifth one explains daily rituals for monks and nuns. And the sixth one explains the process and confession for repentance um, and explains the magnitude of pain monks and nuns must suffer if they break the vow of celibacy. And it describes what good conduct for monks and nuns look like. Okay, so that was the second portion of the Baya Agams, which are supplemental material to the Anga Agams. Let's look at the third portion, the Mool Sutras. And there are four of these. Again, these are for monks and nuns, so we'll go through it quickly. The first one contains the daily rituals for monks and nuns necessary uh, to perform both day and night. The second one describes a code of conduct they should live by. The third one describes preaching regarding Jain principles and practices and stories, dialogues, and examples based on such principles and practices. And the fourth one contains proper conduct for monks and nuns to travel, eat, accept food, and other necessities from lay, lay people. So let's move on to the next one, the Chulika Sutras. There are two of these. The first one contains an elaborate description of Tirthankars, disciples, and the five types of knowledge. Matinyan, Shrutanyan, Avdinyan, Manaparyayanan, and Kevalnyan. The second one contains the descriptions of rites regarding the mode of preaching. So those were the Chulika Sutras. And remember that was the one, two, three, fourth set of supplemental materials to the Anga Agams. Okay, we just got one more. And that's the Prakirna Sutras. And if you hear any that you're interested in, uh, just write them down and that way you'll be confident about looking them up later. There are 10 of these. The first one contains prayers to the four benevolent beings, Arihant, Siddhas, Sadhus, and Dharma or religion. So now we become even more accessible, right? Uh, before it was stories and facts and um, uh, how th how things work. Now even more accessible. These are prayers. Like these are the prayers. The second one describes the type of vows a person should take during when they're ill and what to do at the time you die. The third one describes fasting and how you should how you should fast when you die. 
The fourth one, again, talks about dying <laughs> and how it's important to die of your own free will. The fifth one describes pregnancy and knowledge about the human body. The sixth one describes uh, meditation and how you should meditate. The seventh one describes the names, position, and residences of the devas. So remember, the devas have a long, long lifespan, much longer than us. So people that were devas that achieved heavenly state in Mahavir's time are going to be devas for 36,000 years, okay? So they're still living that life. So for us, they appear motionless. That is, we can describe them. And when I tell my children about that, they'll still be there. And when my children tell their children about that, they'll still be there. So it appears motionless to us. So this describes where they are and what they're doing. The eighth one describes palmistry and how it is used to predict the future. Do you believe that? We believe in palmistry. I don't know. We don't believe in stars and stuff and the alignment of Rashi and all that. But Jainism, we do believe in palmistry. I can't believe that. That, that I don't know. That's crazy That to me that that's true. So this one might be interested, interesting to you to go look at this. This is the eighth Prakirna Sutra. So if you want to be a palmist, maybe I have to go to those palmist people now and give that text to them and say, this is how you do palmistry. The ninth one explains how to completely give up the worst sins and how to repent for those sins. And the tenth one, the tenth one is considered lost. Okay, so we have, but from other materials, we think that this one contained the prayers of Bhagavan Mahavir. Okay, so I know we went through those kind of fast, um, but it's important to know that these are the Baya Agams, the one, two, three, four, five sets of supplemental materials to the Anga Agams, which is our 12 major texts. Okay, so Digambers also believe that these Baya Agams have become extinct. So any questions or comments before we go into commentaries? Now this is going to be even one step further removed from the explanatory materials which were one step removed. So now we're going to go into commentaries what people thought or are writing critiques about these supplemental materials and the main materials. All right, so these commentaries are known as Niryukti, Bhashya, and Churni. And guess who wrote Niryuktis? That's right, Badrabahu II. So you didn't think that name would come up, but he's coming up again. This was in the 5th or 6th century. I don't know how these time timings work. These timings don't make sense, but we'll have to go through, I guess, with the pen and paper and write down the timelines. So he wrote down these philosophical discussions called the Niryuktis. And he wrote about Praman, Naya, and Nikshepa.
All right. So before we talked about what do the Gumbers believe? So now let's get into it. The Gumbers follow two main texts and three commentaries on the main text and four Anuyogas, which consist of 20 texts. So that forms the basis of the Digambar tradition. These scriptures, these texts were written by Acharyas from anywhere from 100 to 1000 AD. And the basis of their work was the Agams, the Anga Agams, sorry, the Baya Agams. That was the basic for the work of these Digambar texts. So the, the name of the two main texts are Shatakand Agam. Remember, everything's called an Agam, so don't get confused. And the, ne- the other one was called Kashaya Pahuda or Kashaya Prabhuta. This is, these are the two main texts for the Digambar tradition. The Shatakand contains six volumes. And the name of the Acharya who wrote the commentary is Acharya Virsen. And for the second one, the name of the Acharya who wrote it is called Acharya Gunadara. And the name of the Acharya who wrote the commentary is again Acharya Virsen. So we have the two main texts, the two and three commentaries. And the book goes on to describe the uh, Anuyogas. Most of them written by Acharya Kundkund and Umasvati. Okay. So all those we call, the book calls Agams. Remember, everything's an Agam. But now we're going to get into stuff that are non-Agam literature. So I, I think these are going to be more commentaries. So questions or comments about anything we talked about so far. And remember, I don't want you to memorize these. I want you to be confident in knowing that this material is here and this material is there for you. And whenever it's time, we have a hard enough time opening the book. All right. But whenever it's time for you to start looking into these agams, these are there for you. And then write down anyone that you think is interesting, especially the palmistry one. And uh, we, we, can, we can talk about it or we can look it up later. Okay, so let's talk about non-Agam literature or some sacred texts that we have. There's the Uttaraidyan Sutra. There's the Kalpa Sutra. There's the Sri Samaisar. There's the Tatvarta Sutra, which we spent a lot of time on two years ago. These are the main texts and commentaries on the Agam literature, which we'll just call that set, the set of Agam literature. Okay, so the Uttarayadhyan Sutra uh, narrates Jain principles they have it has parables, anecdotes, episodes, historical s- stories, all in thirty six chapters. So this is great if you like stories. If you learn by stories, um, everybody learns by stories. That's how we all learn. We're wired that way, as we know. 
The text tells us that there are four rare things, human life, the sermons of the jinas, the correct vision, and the correct conduct. The Kalpa Sutra, the Kalpa means activity which enhances religious knowledge. Okay, so Acharya Bhadrabahu composed three chapters of the Kalpa Sutra in the Ardha Magadhi language in the 3rd century BC. And it has 1,200 verses. It was written down in 454 AD during the 2nd or 3rd recension, during the 3rd convention. It has a very detailed and lively description of Bhagavan Mahavir's life as well as a narration of his previous 27 lives. It has a poetic description of the dreams of Queen Trishula and a celebration of the birth of Bhagavan Mahavir. If you're interested in Mahavir, then the Kalpa Sutra is for you. Sri Samesar. Acharya Kundkund wrote the Sri Samesar along with many other things in 100 AD. The text explains the Jain philosophical doctrine of the soul, the nine th realities or the Nav Tattvas. The book is written in aphorism form, so if you like short and um, short sentences which you can ponder ponder over for a long time, this one's for you. It's divided into nine chapters: first, living and non-living; second, an agent and the actions of the agent; third, good and bad deeds; fourth, inflow of karma; fifth, stoppage of karma; sixth, shedding of karma; seventh, bondage; eighth, liberation; nine, omniscience. So a lot like this book is laid out is Sri Samesar. So this is probably the most easy for us to get into because you know a lot of this. And so you will, if you want to start somewhere, uh, I would start here. It was written by Acharya Kundkund. He renounced the world at age 11 and became a monk after 33 years of meditation and penance at the age of 44. He was bestowed the honor of Acharya. And that's when he started writing all of this down. Next, the Tathvarta Sutra. This was one of the first ones to be written in Sanskrit. So it's more accessible than the others, which is probably why we did it, because there's a lot of copies of this. There's a lot of translations. This was written by Umaswati, and it was the first to systemize the Jain system with a logical sequence. If you want a good summary of Jainism, then where to start is the Tattvartha Sutra. Okay, so we kind of blew through a lot of that. Um, like I said, the point is just to let you know that these are here and is to whet your appetite to try to research these things, is to light your lamp to try to look for these things on your own so you're more comfortable looking for it. 
so you understand. It's so hard to know where to start, right? But now you know where to start when you want to do your own research into a deeper understanding of Jainism. And there's a great, um, let me share my screen. There is a great um, summary in the book. Here we go. In case you forgot what's what, it's here at the very end of the book. You should be able to see it now. All right. So 14 Purvas and their, their names. So if you need to look up their names, we didn't talk about any names today. I don't really see the point. The names are right here. Remember, there are 12 Anga Agams. That's right here. You'll see 1 through 12. After that, the explanatory texts. There are the Upanga Agams right here. And they have multiple names, so you'll see multiple names for each of them. The Cheda Sutras right here. The Mool Sutras. The Chulika Sutras, the, the Prakirmash Sutras, and here are some of the other texts. So if you need to look up their names, the names are here for you. And the book is great about uh, putting things into charts. So definitely, uh, if, if you can open the book to get those, that stuff, then definitely do that. Anybody surprised by anything? Anybody surprised by the wealth of information? Anybody, anything somebody didn't expect? I didn't expect the palmistry. I hate to keep harping about the palmistry, but I can't believe that I have to now look into believing whether palmistry exists or not. I think uh, that might light my lamp for this week and see what I can learn about that. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh... It feels like so little we know, right? I mean, it's so much out there. Uh, even the, it feels like so much is lost out there that we don't know about. But I'm also interested, like you talk about palmistry, I'm interested about what did we, did we nail it, whether the sun moves around, earth moves around the sun, or sun is, uh, you know, old Hinduism was perfect mathematical, uh, it has a very perfect calculation of everything. Even our Vedas and everything has a very perfect calculation except one piece, which was, you know, the sun moves around the earth. Um, but if you put that aside, it has a precision and accuracy on every aspect, every level. I wonder if, if in our one of those, I think, uh, items that we talk about had a full-blown solar system, uh, the Surya, Rajanapati Sutra has all of that description. So I was curious about that, if we nailed that one or not. <laughs> that would be great. Let me know if you find out. Yeah, if I find something, I'll share, sure. Yeah, well, one interesting thing for me was, you know, we have heard about Agam Mandirs, Agam Sutras. And until now, I didn't have a connection, you know, how we are connected to that. Um, now... 
I think if we ask for, I mean, we definitely know the Kalpa Sutra uh, and a couple of sutras that we have we have reviewed, but the connection to it is uh, is a bit weak. So this helps to connect it. And I've heard quite a few places in India, it's called Agam Mandir. But, you know, we go to Dirasar, we do Bhagavan Darshan and never, never even cared to do or go through much of that. I mean, I'm from Patan, I've been to Patan probably hundred times and never had curiosity or desire to, to, to go find out where those Agams are or w- what exist. So, so that is definitely my next thing to do when we go to Patan is, is find out more about it. You know, if I don't read it, I mean, at least put my hands on or uh, if it's a copper plate or it's a book or something that's more than what I've seen and learned. So um, that'll be the, the next thing I, I will be looking for. Yeah, that's our next sanity check. You're going to confirm for us. Go there and say, hey, I want to see these agams. You say you have these agams. Let me know. I'll do whatever, you know, I'll wear whatever. I won't touch them or whatever. Can I take a picture of them and come back with some pictures of these texts or these plates? And yeah, we won't understand them, but it's nice to know that they're there, right? <laughs> it's, it's our job now to make it digital. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention the same thing. Uh, been to Palitna and Sankeshwar so many times, but I didn't know that there were agams there. So next time I'm there, I will be curious to see if they actually physically there. Absolutely, this this class and all of the Jain Center would be very much uh, interested to know. And if you can take one or two pictures, whatever they allow you to, maybe they'll be nice and allow you to take everything or whatever. We could turn that into a full-blown class, a full-blown presentation for the general body, everything. Everybody would be very interested. Hey, uh, Tim, uh, real quick, I, 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 I may have misheard you, uh, but did you say that Jainism doesn't believe in Rashis? Is that is that a comment you made? No, I, I that was an offhand comment about my um, my surprise at one of the literature, one whole chapter or section deals with palmistry. I don't know. Uh, there may be other other things that believe in the alignment of the stars, and that has some connection with things going on here. Uh, I haven't heard of that, but I haven't not heard of that either. Thank you so much for your time this week. I hope I provided you a little bit of food for thought in that this material is out there. And uh, looks like a bunch of us have a little bit of homework in looking into these things a little further. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.